Hey, welcome back to Edge of Your Seat Podcast. Wow, this feels like forever. Man, it's legitimately been a month since the last episode. Apologies from Edge of Your Seat Podcast. A lot of things have been going on, obviously. COVID and work and family stuff and... Oh, life has been super crazy. Super duper duper crazy. So we're coming back with an awesome, awesome episode. Episode 87. We have Chase Sexton. Born in Mendota, lived in Lamoille for a while. Now he's in Florida, right outside of Orlando. Winning Supercross Championships. Just won his second AMA Supercross 250 East Championship. He won last year, wins this year. Congratulations to him. Trying to get him back on, but his schedule is super crazy. He's always doing something. And you will hear when we try to talk for this time. This was actually about a month ago, a month and a half ago. And we spoke super pumped up about racing, ready to go. But they couldn't race because they... COVID stopped everything, unfortunately. He said he had six races left. They got those six races in, and he was able to win his second championship. So congratulations to Chase. It was awesome to have the opportunity to talk to him about racing and traveling to other cities, and we talked other sports outside of Supercross, Motocross. He's three years in, ready to see how far he can go. He's a lot of fun to watch. It's really cool having a local kid on that stage. Well, I know he's training. I know he's getting ready to, to keep going. He says he rides four times a week, and then, you know, he races on Saturdays. That's a lot of racing. That's a lot of riding. But he's good at what he does. That's for sure. So before we get to Chase, a few things I want to talk about. Let's get a word from our sponsor real quick. There's always things that we can do to our home, can always upgrade, always fix. Whether it's a light fixture, an entire kitchen model, Olson Construction is here to help. The family owned and operated company prides itself in offering family prices with family honesty. Olson Construction specializes in roofing, siding, windows, doors, deck designs, remodels, garage additions, and room additions. Owner Keith Milas has been in construction for over 10 years and is willing and able to take care of your home renovations from start to finish with your thoughts and opinions taken with every step of the journey. For a free estimate, call Olson Construction, which is fully licensed and insured, at 815-910-5982 or contact Olson Construction on the Facebook page Olson Construction LLC or via email, olsonconstruction19 at gmail.com. I did watch the first two and a half seasons of Handmaid's Tale. It's pretty much all I've watched during this time, is Handmaid's Tale. They're, they're our shows, and I really, so many things going on, really didn't get to watch a lot of stuff, but Handmaid's Tale is crazy awesome. Start off a little slow, I'm like, what am I really watching? And then as the story picks up and the characters are developed in, it is a really good show. And I know they picked up a four season, but it's not going to come out until next year, 2021. 
So it was a little wait, so I've kind of like pushed off watching the rest of season three because then I don't know, <laughs> I'm going to forget what happens because it's a long layoff before the show comes back. So I'm like, you know what, I'm going to hold off, I'll watch a show here, show there, so I can remember what is going on. I might still have to go back and rewatch some stuff just to try to remember things. But it's a great show. It's really weird. can be really dark at times. Things that I would never even think about putting in a show. These writers, producers, man, that do these TV shows are their brains. I don't even know how it works sometimes. Like you're watching these shows like, how do people think of this stuff? Like somebody had to think about this to come onto the TV screen or the movie theater. It is so crazy that people can think of it. It kind of scares me sometimes, especially with the thrillers and the horror movies. Like people are thinking about this. Are they clinically insane? <laughs> Some of the things that are on these TV shows and movies is insane. I mean, that's the word, insane. Like, how do you think about these things? I mean, it's good TV, it's entertainment, but I do think about their welfare sometimes or the welfare of their family <laughs> or people that they're around. This is kind of crazy. The stuff that is happening in Hands Made Tale, fingers getting cut off, killed for no reason, not no reason whatsoever, but in our society, in real life, things that you go to jail for for an hour or a day, you're getting executed. Or things that you wouldn't even get in trouble for. Like that one girl and dude were thrown into a pool, drowned, just because she had relations with somebody else while she was married. But the dude that she was married to didn't want to be with her. She didn't want to be with him. So she went and did her own thing. Somebody found out, so she gets thrown into a pool with concrete tied to her ankles, and she's gone. And the dude, too. So crazy. That wouldn't happen today. Not, not yet. I mean, if something else happens with this COVID or protesting or anything else, I mean, we could get into a society we don't even know about. But for right now, we don't have to worry about that. So you writers and people that are making this crazy stuff up... Please watch out that these don't become normals for our society. One thing that I have been super in tune to is the versus battles. Swiss Beats, Timberland, picking artists to go against each other, play 20 songs, song for song. I love it. I love it. I love the concept. It's on Instagram. They are legitimately like little concerts on Instagram. Two weeks ago was Alicia Keys and John Legend. Fantastic. It was a concert. They were dancing. They were playing each other's songs together. They were doing the ad-libs and the hooks and everything else. It was the voiceovers. It was so well done. But it wasn't like rehearsed. It wasn't, I don't think it was rehearsed. I don't think it was sketched out or what you know was going to happen. But it was It was just like a, a concert. I, I probably would have paid for that. I hope they don't start doing that. Please don't listen to this if you're in power to do that. I would have paid for that. I totally would have paid for that. It was cool just to be able to go on Instagram to watch it. They had the piano side by side. Alicia Keys was pink. John Legends was black. It was fantastic. The whole thing. Played some new songs. John Legend came out with an album that day. And if you haven't heard it, listen to it. It is phenomenal. There's one song off the whole 16 track album 
that I don't like. 15 of them playing the whole way through. Great album. A couple of the other ones that I've seen, they've probably done like 15 to 20 of these now. I'm going back and watching them as I can. Nelly and Ludacris was actually the first one that I tuned into because that's my generation. Like That's my middle school, high school. Those were two of the biggest artists that I was listening to. I think both of them first album came out in 2000 and I was either an eighth grade or a freshman depending on what part of the year. So those are the, uh, the informative years of listening to music. Start jamming out to Luda and to Nelly. It brought back a lot of nostalgic memories. Some of these songs, you know, you don't go back and listen to them all the time because there's new music out every day. There's so many artists and so many different things that you're trying to listen to or watch or do or... Man, life is so busy. <laughs> but to go back and have those songs like showcased again, I was like, man, I forgot about this one. I forgot about that one. Of course, you know, Country Grammar, Fantasy, Dilemma, you know, those songs that are still being played. Yeah, yeah is on the radio every sixth song still to this day. Still to this day. I'm going to repeat that. <laughs> it's still everywhere. So those songs, of course, actually, I'm like, okay, get to another one. I still hear these all the time. But some of the other songs, Nelly played a couple I never even heard of. One I think was called A Thousand Bars with Notorious B.I.G. Never even heard of it. Never even heard of the song. And I'm a huge Notorious B.I.G. fan. One of my top fives. Was a big fan of Nelly. Never heard the song. At least I didn't remember it anyway. So it was cool to have those songs showcased and brought back up and... They got the playlist on Spotify now of all the songs that are being played in the battles. So I'm going up there and picking them, putting them on playlists and stuff like that. You got to. You got to keep the music going, man. <laughs> I did go back and listen to one of the earlier ones, which was The Dream and Sean Garrett. Sean Garrett was messed up <laughs> the entire time. Nelly was getting pretty crazy there at the end of the Ludacris and Nelly one. But Sean Garrett, he was... He was messed up. <laughs> it, was, it was funny. It was really funny. But I didn't realize how many songs The Dream and Sean Garrett had written or produced for Beyonce and Destiny's Child. Like, it was, I'm going to say, probably like 65% Beyonce and Kelly Rowan and Destiny's Child songs. Like, they had either wrote them or produced them. And it was crazy just to know that these people were connected to these songs because I had no idea. I'm a huge music guy, but not really like the producers, the behind the scenes stuff. Like not really. Timberland, Swiss Beats, people like that when they get on a song and they let it be known that they're there, that's different. But just to know who everybody, the credits, like I don't go to the back of an album, who buys albums anymore. <laughs> Nobody, where they had the credit sheets and you know the thank yous and all that. That doesn't happen anymore. I may have looked at one of those back in the day when I was, you know, a teenager. But now, I don't know any of that stuff. There's a lot of songs that I don't even know who the person singing is, their name. So to find out that these guys were linked to the songs that made buku bucks that were huge hits. Put a ring on it, ring the alarm, soldier, bills, 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 all those songs were on there. The only bad thing about him is, is at least The Dream and Sean Garrett, their production quality wasn't awful, awful. But Nelly and Ludacris, Nelly kept cutting out because there were storms 
going on when they're having it, and you could really, he would just be gone. <laughs> you could see him, but there was no audio, or there would be audio, but you couldn't see him. But it does sound like I was doing some research reading stories. It sounds like Swiss Beats and Timberland are sending packages to the artists that are going to do this. And now it's mandatory that they use these for better quality sound systems, Wi-Fi, all that other stuff. Everything that you need to make this a positive product, they're doing. So I don't know how long they're going to go with these. And they're doing pretty much A-listers. I mean, Jill Scott and Erykah Badu from what I hear is the best one of these so far because they're both awesome artists. They did T-Pain and Little John. Swiss Beats and Timberland were the very first one because they were the guys that got this together. I did see something on Twitter today that possibly, I, I didn't see it on the Instagram versus page. I did not see that this is official, but I heard it might be T.I. and 50 Cent. That would be awesome. I was thinking T.I. and Lil Wayne. I'm a huge fan of both of those. That would be awesome. Nas and Andre 3K. Andre 3000 from Outkast. I think that would be a really good one. There's some other ones that I was thinking about. Jeezy and T.I. would be good. I heard somebody throw out Eminem and DMX. That would be interesting. Two of the meanest mad rappers ever. So maybe that would be a good one. I don't know. But it's really cool that they're doing this. I hope they can continue. Because I know I will definitely check out every single one of them. Now this is sort of kind of a sports podcast, so we've got to talk about a little sports before we get to Chase and talk about a lot of sports. But Patrick Mahomes, huge deal. What I saw so far, 10 years, $400 million. Don't know the ins and outs and all the background of the contract, but just those numbers, just hearing that on the surface. So you don't know the incentives. You don't know, okay, you're going to get this much if you go back to the Super Bowl or playoffs or, you know, your MVP. You don't know any of that stuff. You don't know any of that stuff yet. But $400 million for 10 years. First of all, you're playing football. This is NFL football. 10 years is a pretty long time to be a quarterback and get your licks in and get hit all the time. Hopefully they... <laughs> Continue to have the success that they're having. Obviously, just won the Super Bowl. They got a big line. They got a great defense. You know, contracts happen and people don't stay and go. And you got to try to bring new people in. We all know how sports go. Ten years is a very, very long time to think or trust or hope, believe, pray that somebody can stay healthy enough playing the game of NFL football to be worth that type of money. 10 years, 400 million, insane deal. I'm not gonna say he's not worth it. I'll say he's worth it. I will say he's worth it. I think Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL. Deserves that type of money. You just don't know how it goes. You don't know injuries. You don't, anything can happen. You can't think like that, especially if you're the owner of the player that they're in that deal. So we'll see what happens, I, I hope it becomes the best deal that the Chiefs ever signed. I'm not a Chiefs fan. I'm Chicago Bears through and through. But it was cool to see them win a Super Bowl and, and have that type of success. I love Andy Reid. Great coach. Deserved a Super Bowl. And it proved that he's been building the pieces there for that long and finally got over the hump and got a Super Bowl. Had to have Patrick Mahomes to do it, but he got there. So that was pretty awesome. 
So I just want to talk about his contract because that still is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Well, we will be back Wednesday. Another podcast. Thank you for listening. Again, sorry for the breaks and go a week, three, four shows, and then not there for two weeks. And then did three, four more shows and then gone for a month. And life has just been been so nuts. So crazy things just getting thrown my way, people around me's way. And it's just trying to find common ground where we can do things and not be interrupted. So I think we're there. I think we're there with the podcast to have it regular and not have these large, crazy breaks. Because I love doing this, it's a lot of fun, and I appreciate the support and people that were like, hey, where's the show at, man? You, you got to keep doing this. You can't stop. It's like, I'm not stopping. I never thought, okay. Nah, I didn't think about stopping. Just had to take a break, get things together, and now we're back. Edge of your seat podcast. Thanks and appreciates all of you guys for listening. So, check out Chase Sexton, Supercross, Motocross rider, winning championships. Just wrapped up his second 250 East Championship. That's awesome, man. So happy for him. Hopefully we can have him on again. We have been in conversations trying to see schedules and when he can get back on. So check him out. Come back. We will be here Wednesday and Friday. Try to get back on that Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. So until next time, peace. After a long time coming, trying to get a conversation scheduled between the two of us with crazy schedules and COVID-19 and all this other stuff, we finally have Chase Sexton on the podcast. How are you doing, my friend? How's it going? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been tough. We were, we were supposed to do this for, I don't know, probably, uh, I don't know, a month and a half. It's, been, it's my bad, though. It's, I'll, take, I'll take the blame for that one. <laughs> Actually, I remember one of the last times that I went out before the COVID-19 went, I was watching your race. So this was before all this craziness started that I actually contacted you and tried to get you on. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was, it was definitely before the whole coronavirus stuff, so yeah, it was, it's been at least, at least a month and a half. But it's all right, I mean, sometimes things are worth the wait, so thank you for coming yeah, on the EDGC right, podcast. Right. <laughs> cool, so like I said, I was watching one of your races, you are in Supercross? Yeah, Supercross, right now, and then, uh, motocross starts, well, we're supposed to start, like, for a week from now, but since this all got put on hold, we're still in Supercross, which is obviously racing in stadiums, and then outdoors is racing, um, kind of like more natural terrain and um, stuff like that. So yeah, we're still in Supercross mode right now. Gotcha. Let's, uh, I guess we'll rewind, because you are originally from, you were born in Mendota, lived in Lamoille, and then you went to Florida. So let's rewind. When did you start racing? I started riding when I was two and a half, I think, um, on training wheels, and then obviously got off those. I was I could ride a bike, I think, without training wheels when I was two years old. So then that's kind of when we knew like something was a bike was going to be kind of my, my kind of thing. And then 
Yeah, so I started racing when I was four. Like I said, I started in, I started riding around like tracks local around Mendota, and then I raced my first race when I was four years old. I think on the day it was, it was my birthday, and raced at the fairgrounds in Mendota. And then uh, ever since then, I kind of I played baseball a little bit. Um, I did wrestling, but uh, at the end of the day, I always wanted to race race dirt bike. So that's kind of what uh, what led us here today. So where does Mendota Raceway rank on your favorite racetracks? I used to, like, I really used to love racing. Like, that whole um, under the lights thing, it's not really normal for this amateur or, like, a local rider to be able to race under, like, lights, I guess. So just being able to go there on a Saturday night and race and have fun, um, I just really like the atmosphere there. The track was uh, also fun. I know Gearheart Ward really well. And their whole family, so it was, um, it was just cool racing there. I really like the stadium feel, the track, and like the like I said, it's a little tighter, so it kind of suited my my uh, riding style a little bit. So I really like racing there, and it's just different. But now racing uh, my Supercross races and stuff like that, the tracks are totally different, so it's kind of hard to rank them. But I definitely like love going back there. Um, every year I come home after the races or the seasons over, I go back there and hang out and watch the racing. So uh, yeah, the whole atmosphere is there is awesome. Definitely. And then you were saying, you know, you knew from a very young age, once you were already off the training wheels at, you know, very, very young. I, I would probably still be on training wheels now. <laughs> so for yeah, you, it, it, takes, it took me a little bit to get off. Gotcha. But since, you know, you know, since you were young, knowing that you were, that's what you wanted to do, just talk about the advancement of that, the steps that you've taken to, you know, perfect your riding and be a professional motocross, supercross rider. Yeah, I mean... Since I was, like I said, I was four years old, so you can imagine it's, it's a very uh, long process to get to where I am now. Um, and obviously, I still want to get better. So, yeah, I mean, it just takes a lot of time and effort. I mean, I rode probably, I'd say, on an average three days a week and then raced um, Saturday, Sunday on the weekend. So, it's a lot of time on the bike. It just, my dad was pretty much my riding coach the whole time. So, he, he was with me every day riding. So, he just, we worked on a lot of uh, like riding form and stuff like that to ride safely and also uh, smoothly. But yeah, I think just the riding time in general, I think that does a lot for, for me, or at least a lot for me, is to be able to put as much time in and uh, repetition as, as much as I can. So and I still do that to this day. I ride four days a week and then uh, race Saturday. So uh, it's, it's a lot of riding and I think uh, the more you ride, the better you get. And I think that's what's helped me the most. Gotcha. What were the different levels that you went to while you were still here? You moved to Florida when you were 16. Yeah. So from, you know, four years old to 16, what were some of the things that you did to, you know, advance your riding? Yeah, so when I was four, I was racing, like, tracks like Mendota Fairgrounds and just, like, stuff locally around the area. And then I uh, graduated until like, I started racing more of, like, the, the amateur nationals. They, they would say, like, it's basically like, the biggest races for amateurs as a pretty young kid. I would think I started racing them when I was six, I think. I went to Loretta's, which is the biggest um, amateur national of the, of the year for us. And I think I made it when I was six years old to that race. And then from there on, I raced the amateur national uh, circuit pretty much until I turned pro when I was 17. So, yeah, I mean, I, until I moved to Florida was when I basically just raced around locally in Illinois. And then, obviously, I, I traveled to the bigger races. Um, but I think there was only like six or seven of them a year. So, yeah, I mean, I just would race the amateur races and then um, 
did the big amateur nationals uh, when they were when they came around. But then when I moved down here, uh, that's when I made the transition to pro, and now it's uh, racing 22 weekends out of the year. And then um, yeah, they're all over the place, obviously. So it's uh, pretty cool to to grow and grow up in a small town and now be able to race the, in big cities like that. And you said you live, like, right outside of Orlando, right? Yeah, I live um, 20 minutes, I think, would it be west of Orlando in a town called Claremont. It's, like it's kind of like a suburb, I guess you'd say, but, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty different. I guess it's, it's way different living here than, like, Mendota, where I, where I was born, than um, Memorial, which had, like, 800 people in it, so it's a little more busy. A lot of old people here, though, so it's, it's kind of slow-paced. What was the difference, I guess, level of racing, you know, the little amateur tracks or even the bigger, you know, tournaments and, you know, events that you went to around here compared to racing in Florida? To me, as a, I would say a novice racing fan information-wise, what is the different environment? Is there more, you know, angst and more, uh, I guess, desire to ride in Florida? Yeah, actually, I would say it's almost the opposite. I think the Midwest, like Illinois and then, um, a lot of the Midwest states actually have a really good um, amateur like circuit, I should say, for local riders. Yeah, like I said, the big nationals are all over the place, so you kind of travel for those. But like, actually, around Illinois and like around Mendota, there's a lot of tracks and amateur racing scene, and like just the racing in general there is really, really good. And when I moved down here, it was actually I was pretty surprised. I was that was to where I was. I had raced my last amateur race right after I moved down here. And then that was in Tennessee, but then after that, I kind of just trained for professional. I only raced one race down here, that was amateur. The amateur racing scene here is not nearly as good as what it was up in Illinois. So I would say it's actually better where I was around Mendota area um, than down here. Did going to Orlando help you get into the pro circuit a little better? Yeah, so I moved down here for, there was a training facility that um, is right, like 25 minutes from where I live now. I had already signed um, my pro contract, actually, when I lived in Illinois for Geico Honda, so I was already going to the pros, but when I moved down here, it was kind of, um, it just helped me, obviously, progress in my uh, in my craft, so I just got to train down here and ride all year round, obviously, because we don't, don't get snow here, but yeah, that definitely helped me, just my, my ability in riding and stuff like that. When you first went pro, was it, you know, weird for you? Was it, you know, did you get anxious or nervous? Or was it just, you know, like, hey, I'm a pro. I've been working for this. Was it, what kind of deal was it? No, I mean, it was definitely, it was definitely um, nerve-wracking racing my first pro race. Actually, my first pro race I went to was a Supercross race in 2017. I actually ended up crashing and breaking my leg in practice. So that was uh, not a good start to my career, but then I got, later that year, I made my actual debut in an outdoor race, and I think I got, I think I crashed the first moto and got 10th the second moto, so it wasn't really that great, but the first moto, I had a lot of nerves, and I still get a lot of nerves racing to this day, I mean, you race in, a lot, in front of a lot of people, um, you're always going to get that adrenaline rush and that nervous feeling, so it never really goes away, but yeah, definitely the first race. So I know you were driving to the airport to pick somebody up. So I do have a question. When you're driving like a normal car or a truck, SUV or whatever, do you still get like the drive or the adrenaline rush to want to race on the highway or anything like that? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, I have, I guess you'd say kind of a heavy foot. I tend to speed a little bit. So I think I kind of just come from my, my racing background. Um, and like when I 
stop at like red lights or like, yeah, like we have a lot of stoplights around here. So uh, when I stop at like a red light, I kind of like want to be the first one, like to kind of get the whole shot at everybody. So it's not, not that good for gas mileage, but um, it's kind of one of my habits. So do you like rev up your engine while you're at the, the stoplight? Uh, no, I, my truck I have now has one of those things where like it shuts off. I guess I have one of those eco modes. So like, I can't really like, I just sit there and it shuts off. And once I, once the green blank goes green, I go basically like, out on the floor. So yeah, I'm making a match. My gas mileage is not very good right now. <laughs> I understand that. I understand that. So even when you're just driving a normal car, still got that racing itch. Oh yeah. 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 The, the racing mentality never really leaves. Like, I guess, yeah, you never really get rid of it. It's kind of always there and never ending with the racing thing. So you are 20 years old. How many years have you been pro now? Three? Yeah, so I turned pro, like I said, at the end of 2017. So, yeah, I was, I was 17 years old. That happens again. Three years. It's been my third full season at the end of this year. Okay. So, you know, throughout the first two seasons going to this season, how do you feel, like, comfortable-wise when you go to these different tracks and you see the competition and the people? We said the nervousness is there, but do you feel more you know, I guess, advanced or, you know, more well aware of what could happen during a race? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, like, you said, like, it's, you definitely get used to it. I feel like when I turn pro, you kind of have to prove yourself and work up, like, the food chain, I guess you should say. So, you start as a rookie, like, you got to get through that first rookie year, like, it's going to be up and down. And then the second year, I feel like when you kind of make your, like, I guess a push to be one of the guys that's, there to like, win races, I guess you should say. So it's just like different levels. And I think now being my third year, I feel like I've made my way to where I'm one of the guys that are going there to win races. And it's, it's kind of tough to get to that level. So I definitely feel more comfortable now. And I kind of you know, I got like, I guess the, the travel and stuff, like got used to that a lot too. So that's a big part of like, I guess the racing is just the traveling and all that stuff. So I've kind of gotten used to that, but it's still every weekend's different. And tracks are always different so it always keeps you on your toes you never can like fully like settle or anything like that so every race i want to do better and do the best that i can so it's it's uh definitely nervous every race and you, you do get used to it a little bit but there's always that uncertainty a little bit as, as well definitely let's go over some of your career accomplishments i know you've won some awards you've won some races what are some things that stick out to you as the top moments of your career so far my top moments were so far, my I think amateur wise, I won. I guess this the biggest award you can win as an amateur, which is the Horizon Award at the biggest amateur race of the year, which is I guess the it's the best rider of the week um, at that race. So that's or the best A rider, which is almost it's like one step under pro. So that was probably my biggest accomplishment in amateurs. And then when I turned pro, I started a race um, outdoors first, which I ended up winning rookie of the year. And, and then um, Supercross, the next following year, I, they still counted me as a rookie, so I got rookie of the year in that. And then last year, I uh, ended up winning the Supercross Tiffany's Championship, which was awesome, and that's where I've dreamt up since I was little. So winning a championship was really cool, and that has definitely got to be my biggest accomplishment yet so far. So, um, And then every race, like I've, had, I've had three race wins now, so uh, which is those are always cool. And, Every one of those is a big, uh, biggest accomplishment in itself. So I uh, just want to keep it going, and yeah, no, no time to settle at this point. 
before we took the break, I will call it a break, for the coronavirus, how many wins did you have for the season? So, the race four races, I had, uh, I won rounds two and three, so I have two wins so far this year, and I have, I got second in other, the other two races, so you know, the season started off uh, very well for me, I have a 10 point lead in the championship right now, but we have, obviously, we have six races left, so it's still a long ways to go. Gotcha. What do you think is different from, you know, your previous seasons to this season that is kind of pushing you ahead of the pack? For me, I think the biggest thing is just experience. Like I said, this is only my third year of racing. So there's a lot of, I'm racing a lot of guys that have six, seven years of racing experience in pros. So I think for, like just learning the, the whole travel system, like the, the way like of the racing, like how it goes in the pro ranks. And I think confidence Winning that championship last year, it kind of sprung me forward confidence-wise. And I think, for me, that's what helped me the most this year. And I think a lot of people have seen that I've kind of changed a lot from last year to this year. So the confidence thing, for me, is what's helped me the most. And just um, more time on the bike. And every year, I feel like I can improve. So just the experience and the confidence is what's kind of uh, boosting me forward. Definitely. And what I'm always interested in when it comes to racing, whether it's cars, motorcycles, trucks, whatever, some drivers just get on and drive. They really don't know. They're not a mechanic or anything like that. But some drivers tweak on everything and everything has to be perfect for them. What kind of rider are you? So for us, I don't work on my bike. My, uh, like I have a mechanic and stuff like that. So I don't actually physically work on my bike, but we do a lot of suspension testing and stuff like that. So, like, I'll go out and I'll have test days. We Our team is based out of California, so I'll, have, I'll go out there and have a lot of test days and, like, stuff like that. So we tweak our suspension a lot and for different kinds of uh, trains and different kind of dirt. So that is kind of a never-ending process. And I would say I'm pretty, uh, pretty picky when I, like, how my suspension is and stuff like that because I feel like when you get to the top, towards the top level, it's, it's uh, separated by very small margins, so every advantage you can have, which comes a lot with bike setup, is uh, very important. I would say I'm pretty picky, but I'm not over the... There's some guys that are over the top and messing with their stuff 24-7, but I would say I'm pretty picky, but I kind of... I try to leave my bike as much as possible so I can be comfortable with it, but I would say I'm I'm on the peakier side, if you'd say Okay, okay. You know, being a third-year pro rider and stuff like that, probably having the same team, does the relationship between you and your, I guess we'll call them crew members or the people that work on your bike, how important is that so they know what to do to get the best out of you as a rider? I've been with the same team for, I think it's been my third year now, and I was actually with them the last um, year of my amateur career. I was actually with the same, they had an amateur program, so I've, I've grown a really good relationship with them, and my mechanic I've had for the last two years now, and he's he's been a big help for me. And just the relationship I have with my whole team, they kind of I get pretty pretty frustrated on on stuff stuff with the bike, so they kind of know how to take what I'm saying and put it into a suspension setting or stuff like that. So they they know me pretty well, and we get along we get along well. So it's kind of having that good relationship is very important with just being able to set your bike up on race weekends when I'm not technically saying the right thing, they kind of know what I'm saying and how to put it into a setting for me. So having that relationship is very important. 
you know, we've kind of glanced around Corona, you know, knocking out the season. What has it meant for you? What have you been doing? I know you're saying you're still riding, but we can't go out and mingle. You obviously can't go to races, no game days or race day, I should say. Sorry. But what has, what has that meant to you? Yeah, so it's been uh, it's been difficult. I mean, I think for everybody, it's kind of it's been a shock to a lot of people. And for me, racing every weekend is what uh, I train for pretty much all year round. So not being able to do that is is tough. But uh, I've been training and riding and keeping the same, I guess, uh, training schedule going. I took a couple weeks off after I figured out we weren't racing for a while, but now I'm back on the program and um, I've been playing a lot of golf and. They said golf's essential down here, so golf courses are open, which is um, good for me. I've been doing a lot of that, and that's kind of my my main hobby to get away from the racing scene a little bit. So I've been doing a lot of golf, hanging with the family, and just, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough not be able to hang out with uh, my friends and stuff like that. I like to hang out with, like, I have a lot of friends down here, so when I'm bored and stuff like that, it's kind of tough not being able to, like, go and have fun and do what we normally do, so... It's uh, definitely different, but I think uh, I think we'll uh, get through this, and hopefully sooner or later we'll be able to go back to normal. So from what I got out of that is if we don't get back to racing soon, you're going to become a PGA Tour member. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't even go that far. I'm, my game, my golf game is very, very up and down. So I could, one day I could go out there and shoot 80, and the next day I could go shoot 90, 98. So... I'm very up and down, so I wouldn't I wouldn't go that far. I don't really put that much effort into it. I just think it's really fun. But then one of the days I have to go out there and don't play good, it just like, it makes me so like it's, I'm very competitive, so I get upset about it. And just I don't know, kind of ruins my day. So I gotta I need to get better. I need to go to the range and start working on my my uh, my swing a little bit because I think I'm too too hit or miss. So you got to work on that consistency. Yeah, the consistency is not there for me. I think that's every amateur golfer, I think, struggle with consistency. But, I don't know, for me, I feel like I'm really up and down. When you are training or, you know, riding around, what is some music that you're listening to, either genre or some of your favorite musicians? So, I would say, like, I guess my music type is really kind of all over the place. I I listen to a lot of, like, I guess you'd say, like, punk rock, pop Punk music, so like I, I really like uh, Blink One Eight Two, Good Charlotte, Some Forty One, a lot of stuff like that. I really got into Halsey lately, so she's like probably my favorite artist. So I guess you could say it's kind of girly, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of I'm all over the place. I like country some days, some days I like punk rock music, some days I like pop. I don't know. It's just I'm I'm not really a big fan of rap. If I don't really like anything, it'd be rap. But everything else, I'm pretty okay with. Nice. Rap and hip-hop is kind of what I grew up on, so we're kind of opposite, but I listen to everything, too, so it makes sense. I don't know. I don't, rap music today is kind of like, I don't know, I don't really find it that, that guy. I like Eminem and stuff like that. I like NF. Guys like that I like, but the, like the, the newer generation rap, I guess you could say, I don't, I'm not really fond of. The Baby and all those guys, not that. I mean, some of their songs are good. Like, I do listen to some of them, but like most of them, that is, I don't. I don't find any rhythm or flow with any of them. They mumble a lot, too. Mumble rappers. Yeah, mum- yeah, yeah, for sure. Being that you were from Illinois but lived in Florida for, you know, three and a half years, when it comes to, like, professional sports, what teams do you lean towards? Illinois or Florida or somewhere else? I'm not really a big uh, football fan. Like, I, like, Tom Brady just went to the Buccaneers, um, which is in Gronk. 
hour away from me in Tampa. So, but I'm not really that big of a football fan. I still my favorite team. Um, I'm a big basketball guy, so my favorite team is Milwaukee Bucks right now, and I've I've liked them for probably the last uh, four years. I'm still rooted in the Midwest. I like I like them, but basketball is really the only sport. I ball sport I really watch. So the Bucks are that's my team. You didn't say the Chicago Bulls. That kind of upsets me. No, uh, so I've been watching the, the they just came out with the Last Dance, so that's the Michael Jordan documentary. And Michael Jordan's actually the reason. So growing up in Illinois, you got. I mean, I wasn't really around, I guess, for the Michael Jordan era, but like I, I guess just watching him and I watch a lot of old videos of like Michael and that team and just a lot of their games and stuff like that. So I'm a huge like Michael Jordan fan, and that's actually why I picked. Well, one of the reasons I picked my number. I'm 23 right now, so I picked that number one because it's Michael Jordan's full number, and it's my I'm, my birthday September 23rd. So. But I have to say the biggest reason I picked this is because of Michael. And I just he's a huge role model for, for me, at least. Even though I wasn't really born or growing up in his era. I do like the Chicago Bulls. They are in a, they're in a slump right now. They're not very good. No, they're actually impossible to watch. I agree with that. Yeah, it, 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 they're terrible. So, like, I hate to be a bandwagoner, but I do. I've always, I really like the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's kind of a small, it's a small city. So, it's cool to see that team that good come out of there. And I guess they're kind of. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say they're really underdogs, but no one's no one would have picked them for the championship this year, and I was going for it. So I don't know. I hope, I hope they get back to playing basketball because I want to see those guys take down. I, I guess in between the Lakers and the Clippers. So yeah, that's who I kind of had penciled in the championship. I had Lakers and and the Bucks. Yeah, I think Bucks got the East for sure. I don't. I'm not really positive on who's going to win the West. It's either it's either going to be the Clippers or the or the Lakers. So. So one of those two teams. So I guess you could just say Los Angeles. Yeah, Los Angeles won it. So you're going to have Los Angeles versus Milwaukee, which is like 10 times the size of Milwaukee, I guess you'd say. So <laughs> yeah. I, I want Milwaukee to win. That leads up to my next question, which is, you know, you've been all over the country, different cities, different arenas, stadiums. What is your favorite city outside of Florida or, you know, the Mendota area that you love to go to every race? My favorite city would probably be New York. Last year was my first year there, actually. That's my first uh, race win. So that kind of got me like liking the city and like just going there and seeing how big it is and just I don't know. The whole New York area is pretty cool. So if I had to pick one, it'd probably be New York. But it's really hard to kind of really pick a certain city. They're all different in their own ways. So they're kind of yeah. It's just it's hard to pick one. But if I had to, it'd be New York. Any city that you hate, when you see it on the schedule or you know you got to go there, you don't want to go? Uh, it's, no, not really. Like, I don't mind any city, really. I don't, if I'm being completely truthful, I don't really get out and look, like, go to the city that much. I mean, like, I'm kind of, I fly in, um, if I have press day, I go to the track, do my riding or my press riding, and then go home and, or go to the hotel and kind of just chill, go to dinner and stuff like that. So I don't really get to go and, like, see the cities. So... I can't really say I hate any of them. Actually, another one of my favorites is Dallas, too. I really like Texas, and Houston and Dallas were two of my favorites as well. I've been to both Dallas and Houston. I love them both, no doubt. Yeah, Texas in general is one of my favorite states, and those two cities are really cool. Mentioning it from your Chicago area, I mean, Mendota is about an hour and a half out. You've been to New York, all these other things. We're talking about big, huge pizza communities. What's your favorite pizza? 
I don't know if you're familiar with like the uh, Barstool um, president. He does, he rates pizza, but I've been watching a lot of his stuff, but I haven't really gotten, I love pizza and I haven't had deep dish in a long time, but that's why I used to eat a lot from being in Illinois and like close to Chicago. So it's, that's kind of the thing there, but I really like pizza and I kind of like, so this guy has a um, app he made and like he rates pizza. So like he, I mean, I'm, he's probably rated a, a thousand, at least a thousand different spots and like around the world. So yeah, I kind of go on his app and like see what's good. And like, I go to those different places. So it's, it's kind of cool. And like pizza is actually my Saturday night dinner after like one of the races. So it's kind of like, yeah, I really am a pizza fan, but I haven't had deep dish in a while. So I kind of want to get back to that. And that's what I used to like when I lived in Illinois, at least. In Illinois, there's deep dish pizza everywhere. Oh, everywhere! Like it's like a normal thing, and like down here, you can't you can't find it. So I guess I have to go back to Illinois and get some. <laughs> Definitely. Well, Chase, I know you are a very busy man, got things going on. So I want to thank you for joining Edge of Your Seat podcast when you did have time. Thanks, my friend. Yeah, no problem. I'm uh, stoked we got to finally get this this thing in. So it's my my bad. It's been been tough getting this uh, set up, but. I, uh, I apologize, but yeah, I'm glad, glad we got to finally do this thing, and uh, it was fun. Yeah, definitely, man. Anytime you want to come back on, we can uh, definitely link up. Sounds good, man. Thank you.